Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All right, good morning to you. This is Mike Smith. What a big day we've got here in BC on the vaccine passport, vaccine mandate file this afternoon at 1 o'clock. We've got that hotly anticipated news conference here. Uh, Provincial Health Officer Dr. Bonnie Henry also to be joined by Premier John Horgan. First time we've seen Horgan here in about a month at a public event. And they are expected to announce a vaccine certificate program in British Columbia, will this cover services like sports events, movie theaters, restaurants? Could you be required to show proof of vaccination to get inside? It's like the vaccine mandates are like the snowball going downhill here. We see so many jurisdictions across Canada and around the world with the momentum building toward mandatory vaccines. Remember what Justin Trudeau said a short time ago? that he expects all federal public servants to face mandatory vaccine requirements. Now, how will this work? What exceptions will be in place? And here's a, here's a wild card for you. What will the unions do about it? Could the unions push back against vaccine mandates? Let's discuss that right now with my guest, Gary Mason, the award-winning columnist at the Globe and Mail. And he wrote a great article on this precise topic, which I recommend to you. Follow me on Twitter. You'll find the link there. Gary, thanks for coming on. Well, my pleasure, Michael. Okay, where are we at right now in terms of uh, mandatory vaccines? Let's talk. About, let's start at the federal level here. Trudeau made that announcement. It's it's not totally precise and clear exactly how it would work. Are the unions, are the federal public sector unions pushing back on this at all? Well, the Public Service Alliance of Canada, which represents 180,000 uh, federal uh, government employees, they, they have pushed back. Uh, they have said that uh, they're going to do whatever it takes to defend our members who uh, don't want to get vaccinated, um, which is like absolutely shocking. I, I, I think that they, they seem to be okay with some sort of testing protocol uh, where people would have to be tested uh, you know, before they come into work, test they would have to test negative before they go into work. They don't. I, I don't think that they they mind that. That they understand that you know that you have to have a, a safe workplace. Uh, but they don't think that every you know anybody should be forced to uh, be vaccinated. And I, I don't think that with that 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 is what Justin Trudeau said. You know, he's saying, listen, it's your choice. If you don't want to get vaccinated, but. Uh, if you make that choice, then you're not going to be able to. Well, he hasn't really spelled out what the repercussions are going to be, but he's, he's right. said that there will be consequences and up to including, you know, termination of your job. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that's kind of where things are at with uh, with with that one. OK, I think it's if you take a look at the comments from Chris Aylward, who is the national president right. of this of this union here, he did put out a statement saying that the union supports vaccination requirements for federal workers. But in the same breath, like you said, he said, we'll, we'll take whatever action is necessary to defend our members around this, which leads you to believe, OK, let's say you've got uh, a federal civil servant who's anti-vaccine for whatever reason, doesn't want to take the yeah. vaccine. What kind of repercussions will they face? Like you said, like, would, do they 
are they in jeopardy of losing their job? Would the union go to bat to try and protect their job? I mean, it's it's not clear. It, it's it's not clear. Yeah. Um, but it but it does uh, it, it does seem to me that the federal government has obviously got legal advice on this, and that they can set out certain conditions uh, around uh, the you know the health and safety of the workplace. Uh, you know, especially amid a pandemic, I, I think that they, the the government and other employee uh, employers would have sort of broad, uh, you know, would sort of have a broad mandate to do whatever it takes to ensure that the workplace is safe. I mean, you're seeing now, Michael, that a lot of other jurisdictions, uh, a lot of you know, the private sector, the banks have just the the, the big banks in Canada have all mandated vaccines. Right. The city of Toronto just went to a vaccine mandate program of all of its city employees, like no option to to do the testing thing. I think what what we're seeing here is is that more governments and um, and institutions uh, clearly see that the the public is in support of mandates or and vaccine passports. Like every poll, it, it shows like seventy five percent of the population supports vaccine mandates. People right. are losing their patience with people who are vaccine hesitant. And uh, I, you can count me as, as one of those. I, I just don't I, I don't get it. Uh, the vaccines have proven safe. Uh, and, you know, the idea that, oh, OK, so we're going to have daily testing. Like, what is the cost of that to to accommodate somebody who who's maybe just too lazy or just doesn't feel feel like getting the, the vaccine. I, I just don't know why we're accommodating those people. Well, there could, there could be some people who've got legitimate medical reasons not to take the vaccine. They've got an yeah. allergy or whatever. Well, oh, right. absolutely. There, there are, there are going to be some exceptions. And yeah. if you have proof of that, then, then, absolute, then absolutely. Then you're just going to have to be tested every day. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saying, I'm sure that there are some exceptions. But I would say that the majority of those who are unvaccinated are not people, you know, who have a, a legitimate medical excuse, and 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 they're they're costing society. Look at the, you know, the, there's a story out of Alberta today about the hospitals are filling up there. They, they can have a crisis in in the emergency rooms in Alberta that are filling up with people sick with COVID, all yeah. unvaccinated people that are taxing the healthcare system, costing you know hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Like it's insane. Okay, it's interesting to see other jurisdictions moving more aggressively, certainly than we have done here so far in British Columbia. We've got yeah. a key news conference on this point coming up this afternoon at 1 o'clock, which is going to be fascinating. But if you look like right next door in Washington State, uh, yeah. the Democratic governor there, Jay Inslee, just the other day announced all teachers would have to be vaccinated. We haven't done that here in B.C. Now, let me play this here for you, Gary, get your thoughts on it. This is Terry Mooring, the president of the B.C. Teachers Federations of the Teachers Union. Uh, should vaccinations be mandated, be mandatory for teachers? Have a listen to what she said here. We think that everyone that can be vaccinated needs to be vaccinated. And so all teachers need to be vaccinated, all support staff, all visitors to schools, everyone in the system needs to be vaccinated in our view. Um, and we've been um, very front and center on that. We believe that uh, our members are vaccinated at a fairly high rate, and that's based on some of the surveys that we have done. Our concern, our concern really lies with a 12 to 19-year-old age range. Okay, so she, you heard her say there that everyone should be vaccinated. What you did not hear her say there is that we believe all teachers should be required to be vaccinated yeah. as a condition of their employment. Now, we spoke, uh, Matt Westfall, another official with the union, spoke to Jill Bennett this morning. 
kind of indicating maybe that the union softening a bit in this point but you know you know what's what's your read of, of the of the unions here on this could they could they start to see the writing on the wall and say okay we're gonna have to go along with this I think so. I, I think that's exactly what's happening. I, I think that they, they can see where broader society stands. And I mean, the other thing is, you know, going, you know, the majority of British Columbians are vaccinated, or at least have at least one shot, the majority. So, you know, you would assume that, you know, the, the teachers, the, the teachers in British Columbia re- reflect broader society and the majority of them are vaccinated. So why, why would the Teachers Federation go to bat and take a hard position against mandatory vaccines for a, for a minority of members at, uh, uh, in their union? And when, in fact, I, I bet you if you asked, if you polled the, the union membership, both with the BC Teachers Federation and the Public, and the public Service of, of Canada Alliance, uh, th- they would all be in favor of it because most of those members are vaccinated. So why, yeah. you know, why would you be against it? I don't understand that. Yeah, except, some of the union, except, except in, in circumstances where you know there was legitimate uh, a case for not getting vaccinated, as you say. Right, and we've seen some situations where some unions do seem to be in favor of the vaccine mandate. I mean, the faculty associations here at UBC. Uh, yeah. University of Victoria, which effectively the the university professors union, they're mm-hmm. calling for mandatory vaccine for the, for their people. I believe the teachers union in Ontario voted in favor of, of mandatory vaccines. Did they not? I I, I don't know about I don't know yeah. about that. But okay. as you're aware, the city of Toronto, which is you know, uh, the city of Toronto just mandated mandatory vaccine for all its employees. Of course, they are unionized employees as well. And their union has not pushed back against it or indicated at all that they're going to fight this. So uh, I think, as you say, you know, people are starting to, you know, quote unquote, read the room and, and they know that we have to, you know, we have to, we're kind of stalled, we kind of plateaued on the vaccine level and we have to do more uh, to get these, these holdouts vaccinated. Gary, thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. My pleasure, Michael. All right, let's talk about the crisis in Afghanistan now, the fall of the government, the rapid rise of the Taliban, their seizure of power. This is particularly heartbreaking for Canadian veterans. 158 Canadians lost their lives in Afghanistan, many more injured, both physically and mentally. Canada spent $18 billion on this war, only to see the Taliban retake the country. Let's discuss now with my guest, retired Corporal Tim Laidler. Tim is the executive director at the Institute for Veterans Education and Transition at UBC, and he served in Afghanistan. I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Tim, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, my pleasure. Hey, Tim, just before we start, um, when were you on the ground in Afghanistan? I was there from uh, January 2008 until August 2008. Wow. What is it like for you and, and for other, the other veterans that you're helping to see what's been unfolding in the country? You know, it, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And, and our, you know, it, the risk is that all of our hard work is, is for naught. Um, we're hoping that's not going to be the case. But I know myself and every other veteran I've talked to, most of our thoughts right now and our attention is with the interpreters who worked alongside us, who are still stuck in the country trying to get out. Yeah, for sure. Do you think that, I want to get I want to get into the interpreters too and the great work you're doing there to help them. Do you think we, Canada and our allies, the Americans, we left too soon there? I mean, should we have left some boots on the ground there to keep the country stable, do you think? 
Absolutely. It, yeah. No question. It, you know, we, we left troops in South Korea. We still have troops in Germany. It's not something you can just get into a country and help them stabilize after 20 years and get out. There was a really good interview by a British member of parliament who, who framed it well. He said, when the Americans shut down Bagram Air Base a month ago, they didn't just pull out the American troops, but they pulled out 1,600 contractors who are working to maintain the Afghan Air Force. So overnight, with no telling of the Afghan government, they lost all of the mechanics for their aircraft, basically rendering their Air, air Force useless. That's oh. what caused so much momentum to go into the Taliban's favor and caused them to fall so quickly is when you know, the military force lose that much of an asset overnight with no planning, any military in the world is going gonna, is gonna to crumble if that happens. Yeah, yeah, no, I, th I agree with you. And I think your comment about South Korea is interesting because you know, I think the Americans have been had a presence in South Korea for like 60 years. And or if you take a look yes. at the the bases, the military bases in Europe after the Second World War, you go back even further. So I, it's understandable how people want these wars to come to an end. But if this is the result, if you just hand the country back to the Taliban, I mean, what's the point? Exactly. It's just it's absolutely cruel. And this is what makes me start to wonder, saying, if we were going to set them up this way, why did we even go there in the first place? Right. Yeah. We gave people hope. People came back to Afghanistan to try and rebuild the country, and now we've trapped them there. Okay, Tim, let's talk about the people who were trapped in the country and trying to get out, and many of them trying to come to Canada, and I know you're trying to help them. What is the situation right now? It's an absolute mess right now. You know, we've got all these programs that were announced for interpreters, for, for women's rights activists, saying, yes, there's a pathway for you to come to Canada. The Immigration Department has now issued calls for some of those people, not all of them, the vast minority of them, to come forward to Kabul Airfield and try and catch a Canadian flight out. The situation on the ground right now, we have a 1,200-meter stretch to get into that airport, which is a human crush. We've had seven people die already in it. It's taking people 24 hours to move through this crush. The only people who are actually making it onto Canadian planes right now are able-bodied men who can push their way to the front. The women, the children, the elderly are all stuck at the back of that, fearing for their lives. And this is the only way Canada has provided them to get out of the country so far. It's just absolutely cruel, once again, what we've done to these people by giving them a hope to come to Canada and putting them through this just tragic. If you see the videos um, of, of people pushing through each other, just clamped body to body for 36 hours straight with no water, no food, nowhere to go to the washroom. It's, it's a humanitarian crisis of an epic proportion and it's being caused by us in the Western world from forcing all these people to come through this gate. Yeah, man, that's a tragic picture you paint there. I'm speaking to retired Corporal Tim Laidler about Afghanistan. Uh, when you listen to Justin Trudeau, he will say that everything is being done, like every resource is being leveraged and utilized to, to get these people out of the ground. And this is not a problem about Canada not doing everything they can to get the people out. It's because people can't simply can't get to the airport because of the the blockades you've described and the crush of people. Are you buying that, or could Canada have done done this better? <laughs> we warned them about this for months. There's been organizations telling them for years to act. You know, the, the reason it's such a problem is because they've waited so long. But focusing on today and what's happening on the ground, there are other alternatives. You know, we, we saw the press conference where some of the ministers insinuated that third-party groups that are trying to help the situation are confusing things. That's not the case. We're there giving them real-time information. Our teams are actually outside of the wire 
operating, talking to people. We're watching Americans bring helicopters to safe locations and helicoptering people in. We're watching Americans send out vehicle convoys and bring vehicle convoys onto the airport. These are things Canada is not doing yet, and it needs to happen right now. We need to be able to get vehicle convoys permission to come onto the airfield, coordinate with groups like us running safe house programs. We know where the people are. We know where the elderly are. We know where the pregnant women in our care are. We can get them into vehicles and drive them onto that airfield. This is a solution to prevent putting a pregnant woman like we had yesterday, try and go through that crush. And in this case, this woman made it to the very front of the line, and she's still waiting on Harvard Government of Canada paperwork to approve her to come, come into country. Tim, we just got a couple of minutes left here. Can you tell me a little bit more about, you mentioned those safe houses. How, how are those working? They're our only life support. Remember, we, when, the, when Justin Trudeau and the ministers announced the special immigration program from interpreters and their families, they believed them. So they left their homes in Kandahar. They left their homes in all around Afghanistan and came to Kabul to try and get on these airfields. They don't have family in Kabul. Some of them do, but most of them don't. They'd be living on the street. We've set up a network of safe houses. We've been raising money through the Veterans Transition Network to provide food and shelter for these people who are waiting for the government to can of paperwork. We have an entire printer operation happening in the basement of one because people have to print out their forms, fill them out, and email them back to the government of Canada to get approved. We've got that system set up supporting them. These people are all in our care. We need money to keep them alive, to keep uh, spending them so they're not out on the street at further risk. And, and that is what we have on the ground today. Every time somebody gets the call to come to the gate to try and catch a flight, we push them in there. But usually, you know, the one son or two brothers will make it through. Everyone else gets separated, and they're stuck outside the wire now. Tim, thank you for the work that you're doing and that you continue to do to help our allies escape from Afghanistan. And I hope there's some better news in the days ahead. Thanks a lot for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for your attention on this. All right, welcome back to the show. Let's talk about the pandemic and its impact on the BC restaurant sector. It's been brutal. They've had a really rough ride during the pandemic. And the last thing any struggling restaurant needs right now is a group that does not show up for a reservation, a no-show. It happens a lot. That's why some restaurants are saying maybe we should have a prepaid system or a cancellation fee if you don't show up for your reservation. Let's discuss now with my guest, Ian Tostenson, CEO of the BC Restaurant Association. I'm pleased to welcome him back. Ian, thanks a lot for coming on. Hey, always, Mike. How you doing? I'm doing great. Is it, does this happen a lot? Are they, like people don't show up for their reservations? More Well, you know, more and more, uh, you know, with large groups, it's it's really large groups that sort of go, okay, we should go here, there, and there. So someone's like, I make four reservations. They forget mm. to cancel three, and then it costs, you know, a whole bunch of money. So people kind of shopping. I mean, you know, and, and the, the damage, it's really more fine dining in smaller restaurants. So you imagine if you and your wife had a dinner party, and then all of a sudden you go buy all your groceries and get it all lined up and the wine, you do the same thing a restaurant does. And then they phone you and said, oh, we're not coming, or they don't show up. So you're out of, you're out of pocket, you're out of a lot of labor, and that's exactly what's happening to our industry right now, is that uh, people are, are a bit frantic, they're a bit you know, worried whether they can get in, because it is quite busy. And so they yeah. make multiple reservations, and then they'll cancel yeah, no, that's got to be uh, that's got to be a drag for someone trying to run a restaurant on a narrow profit margin to have something like that happen, especially for a place that's maybe it's a popular place and the place is completely booked, and you might be yeah. turning you might be turning down other reservations because you're booked up, and then someone doesn't show. 
Yeah, it, it, for sure. I mean, you know, when you have your neighborhood restaurants, your family restaurants, um, people are in and out. It's not really a problem, but it's when you have a restaurant that it's a bit more of a fine occasion where yeah. there's a bit more time at the table, and if that table sits there empty for two hours, that's right. a lot of money out of that pocket for that the operator. Right. Okay, so let's talk about this idea for a cancellation fee. How would that work? Hmm. So some restaurants, um, there's a couple of ways to do it. They take a deposit, uh, and restaurants, even a, a deposit of $25. We were up at Worcester recently. And we made a reservation. They said, we need a deposit. Uh, I think it was per oh. person deposit. And that keeps you honest. And if you think yeah. about our behavior, uh, it's been said, I mean, we, we prepay for food when we have it delivered. We prepay for at McDonald's and Triple O's when we drive through the drive throughs You know, you prepay Amazon. You order wine from a winery, you prepay. So I think we are going to see a portion of the industry uh, do a deposit and or in some cases, depending again how you know what kind of experience food experience it is, and how much uh, preparation a restaurant has to go through, you might be paid. You might pay most of the meal in advance, and I think that just keeps the honesty in the system. Um, and I, we haven't had that many people actually push back and say that's not right. I think that most people see it as a fair thing to do. Right. So I guess the way that would work is, okay, so let's say you phone a restaurant to make a reservation, and then they would ask you for your credit card number over the phone and say, okay, if you don't show up, just be aware this cancellation fee is going through on your card. Correct? I know. And and, and, and being us in hospitality is a tough one. So, hey, Mike, we just hit your 200 bucks. (laughs) I know you didn't show up, and you go, well, I had a flat tire or whatever, whatever. So it's not something that we can easily do and we don't necessarily want to do because there's circumstances. But um, I think the mere fact, if you phone up and say we require a deposit, we'll give you second thoughts and say, yeah, maybe not, not this time. I think most people will scatter if they're not truly intend- intending to go. Okay, it's a new idea. I've, I'd never heard of it before. I've never yep. ex- experienced uh, any restaurant I've ever been to asking for a deposit or a cancellation fee. Like, is this catching on or are many restaurants doing this? Yeah, I did some scanning on this, and you know, restaurants like downtown busy restaurants that otherwise would not do this are saying, you know what, the biggest problem we have are groups. You know, they want to get on you know, six or seven, eight people, so we reserve a section, they don't show up, and um, and so more and more they're saying the comments are, we never want to have a barrier in front of us between us and our guests. That's not our way, but in this particular case, so. And you pointed out at the beginning, as we're trying to recover from the pandemic and get through all the hoops we're going through right now, these these missed opportunities uh, to make sales are immensely important to us. And I think it more and more it'll catch on. Probably not to to your local neighborhood one where you know the guy and stuff, but you know certainly for the more busiest places that have a lot of demand, I think you'll see you know some discipline put into place. I, I think it's I think it's fine. I, I don't think it's. You know, yeah. we basically you're paying a little bit in advance because you have the intention to go to that business and support it. I think that's right. good stuff. Right. Speaking to Ian Tostenson, CEO of the BC Restaurant Association. Ian, this afternoon we're anticipating an announcement from the BC government at 1 o'clock on a vaccine certificate program. Lots of speculation out there about what this could entail. Could there be rules that come into place that you are required to show some sort of proof of vaccination to attend public events? Maybe you go to a sporting event or a concert uh, or who knows, maybe a restaurant. What are you hearing? What are you anticipating to hear this afternoon? So we're being briefed a little bit beforehand, 1130. I suspect this is what's coming in. Um, we actually wrote a letter, um, all of us, you know, the Chamber of Commerce and BC Restaurant Association and Board of Trade, 
asking the government to step in here because the experience we saw in the Okanagan Valley, and this is where I think it's important for your listeners to, to really take listen to this, is that it's out of control up there because of the variant, and that's the difference here. And we need to get some discipline in the business community. Otherwise, um, we're just going to go round and round circles. We're going to be chasing our tails. We had to close a lot of businesses in the Okanagan. And so wow. I think you'll see a vaccination certification. Um, we'll try to do this in a way that is, is as inclusive as possible. And I know there's people are going to pick up their, their uh, computers right now and start to write me and hate me. But you know what? Uh, we can't go through what the, the interior is going through right now. And if that spreads into the Fraser Valley, Vancouver Island, and Vancouver, we're going back to where we were a year ago. And that's not acceptable for, for 84% of the population of BC. So, we're, you know, we can't do this without the government. Um, the government's concerned, obviously, about uh, what's happened in the hospitals in the interior. And it's the right thing we have to do. Like I said, we're going to try to be as inclusive as we possibly can. But I hope the public embrace this and move ahead in BC to get this behind us because it's just destructive. It is so destructive. What happened with restaurants in the interior with the Delta variant? Uh, we closed 15 to 20 restaurants. Um, hmm. And they were closed for 10 days. Um, that's the rule. If you have three or more employees, you have to close for 10 days. We actually worked, it was kind of cool, we, Mike, we worked with Interior Health and said, uh, Dr. Pollock said, actually, we can change that. If you have three or more employees, um, you don't have to close, providing that your the rest of your staff are all vaccinated. So you can see where this is going wow. yeah. and to protect public health. And so, but we saw the spread of the variant in the Okanagan just all through, I mean, through our industry, mainly through, well, it wasn't mainly through, it was 95% through unvaccinated people working in the hospitality industry and then at parties and at social gatherings. It sounds okay, like so a year you, ago, doesn't it? Okay, so you actually want mandatory vaccination for restaurants, correct? Yeah, yeah, with the, with the assistance of government and the inclusion of the rest of the economy in British Columbia as well, too. So you're right. talking sporting events, pubs, restaurants, probably gyms, bars, skiing, all those different things. So that would would that apply to staff and customers? Well, it would apply to customers, obviously, coming in. Um, yeah. But I think the, the the staff issue is a little trickier because you there's there's legal requirements in terms of what you can and can't ask your staff in terms of their status. But it was interesting, the Okanagan, is that the health ruling in the Okanagan actually gave the business owner um, the, the uh, opportunity to ask the staff to show that they've been vaccinated. And so there's probably ways around that. Um, what we're seeing now, though, in most cases in hospitality, um, the younger audience that we have that work for us, they're keen to get vaccinated. They want to get on with their lives. So we have a really quite a high rate of vaccination generally in hospitality. Right. So would you therefore say that most of your people that you're consulting with, the restaurant owners, the people who are working in the sector are, are saying largely, yes, bring it on. We want to yeah. see mandatory vaccination in our sector. That's what you want. Yeah. 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 And, wow. and they're afraid. To, I mean, it's hard to say, right, because it's, yeah. you know, it's um, it's, you know, it's a little bit of a barrier. But, you know, bearing in mind, if you look at, you know, 84 percent of the people in B.C. have got their first, second shot combination and about 70% of the people in BC support some sort of va- vaccination passport. So, you know, we're, we're, we're swimming with the, t- the tide here. And like I said, we are very sensitive to those that don't, well, they can't 
And those that don't, as the minister said last Friday, um, you know, they're going to be things they can't do until they get vaccinated. Otherwise, we're going to have COVID for the rest of our lives. Okay, it's amazing how quickly things have changed because it, it wasn't that long ago that, you know, Bonnie Henry had been saying that she did not anticipate that there would be some sort of a domestic vaccine passport system. But it sounds like maybe that's what's coming this afternoon. Yeah. Well, you know what, Mike, I'll share a story with Dr. Henry's um, colleague, Dr. Emerson. I asked him about three or four months ago, I said, you know, what do you, if the Rolling Stones came to Vancouver, do you see that we need to have some sort of vaccination passport or, or a certificate? He said, at that time, he said, no. He said, there's so many people being vaccinated in BC, they'll protect themselves and they'll be, uh, the people that aren't, well, they'll be, they're not. But now what's happened, and this is the difference between three months ago and now, is the Delta variant. Yeah. And it spreads, and uh, and everybody's a bit vulnerable to it. And that's why we've toughened our stance on this a bit right now, because that's a prescription for us. And if you look at the numbers in the last five days, um, to have to maybe face closures or restrictions, and and that that just won't happen. I mean, we just we won't even have an industry left if we do that. Okay, last question for you, Ian. What kind of system would you like to see brought into place? Like, if you were in a, a situation where people are required to show proof of being double vaccinated before they can get into a restaurant like do, do you would this be on a phone app or some sort of like a certificate like how would this work and would that not create problems at, at the door i mean it creates more bureaucracy doesn't it yeah just, that, that's some of the biggest problem um so there's a bc, BC services card we could, you can tag into that they might use that don't know um there's people that don't have phones and so how do you accommodate yeah. that so maybe right. you use the card I mean, one of the things that we will work, I mean, uh, I think what will happen is we'll get the announcement today. We'll work with government as industries to smooth that out. We don't want to create problems for you and your family when you come to the restaurant and make you stand there and go through, you know, a pat down. Uh, so we'll try to make it really simple, very discreet and, and accommodating so that if you aren't using technology, i.e. a phone, um, there's other ways of doing it. Maybe it's a vaccination certificate. I don't know. Um, that's going to be something that would be quite interesting to see what happens at 1 o'clock on the announcement. Okay, well, we certainly are anticipating that, and we'll see what happens. Thank you for coming on today to talk about it. Mike, always good to talk to you. Come back. All right, as promised here, let's have some fun to end the show. So here's the question. Who should be the next host of Jeopardy? Should it be LeVar Burton? How about Ken Jennings? They appear to be the front runners after newly announced host Mike Richards was dropped as the host I've got Eric Chapman standing by, but first have a listen to this report here from NBC News. Tonight, Jeopardy! is looking for a new host again. Mike Richards, the man initially tapped to replace Alex Trebek, stepped down today following a bombshell report by The Ringer. The story highlighted controversial comments made by Richards seven years ago on his podcast, The Random Show. According to The Ringer, Richards made disparaging remarks about little people, those with mental disabilities, and Jewish people, along with sexist jokes about women's bodies. Objectively, she is not attractive, and she does not have a great body. In a note sent to Jeopardy! staff this morning, Richards said, Moving forward as host would be too much of a distraction for our fans and not the right move for the show. Sony Pictures Television said today it supports Richard's decision, adding we were surprised this week to learn of Mike's 2013-2014 podcast and the offensive language he used in the past. Richards, who plans to stay on as Jeopardy's executive producer, says the show will bring back guest hosts until it finds a permanent replacement. It's an awkward position for the guy who clearly really wanted to be the host to then be in the position of choosing the next host. I don't know how much longer he can hang on as executive producer. 
So for now, once again, there's no answer to the question, who is the host of Jeopardy? Joe Fryer, NBC News. Okay, well, that's quite a mess over there. Let's check in with Eric Chapman now. Eric's a CKNW contributor, and he's a Jeopardy fan. Hey, Eric. Hey, Mike. Why did they even attempt to make Mike Richards the host? That's where I am at this. Because we knew about this. This was 2014 and seven, seven, eight years ago. Like, all this stuff was in the news. So we knew this was going to happen. There was even talks amongst the Jeopardy fans saying, well, he did this. This isn't going to fly. So yeah. I'm, I'm still questioning it, why they even bothered with him in the first place. Oh, it was a terrible choice to start with. I mean, to yeah. make the executive producer of the show the host, I mean, it's kind of like Napoleon crowning himself emperor. It's just, it's just <laughs> ridiculous. What a, what a dumb idea. Uh, phone me on it right now. Who do you think should be the next Jeopardy host? 604-280-9898, star 9898 on your cell. Take a few calls here on it. Okay, what do you think? Like the front runners here, Eric, yeah. for sure, appear to be uh, LeVar Burton, uh, who, I, who I think is great because I'm a, I'm a Trek, Star Trek nerd, so I love him. And Ken <laughs> Jennings is, of course, the great Jeopardy champion, right? What do you, who do you, they're the front runners here. Yeah, no, I'm X-Nay and Ken Jennings right off the top. And, and, and I'll tell you why. Because he tries to be funny. And Jeopardy's yeah. not funny. Jeopardy is fun. There, there's a huge mm. difference. And, and I feel like, I don't know if you've seen Ken Jennings on The Chase, if you've watched that quiz show, but he's excellent yeah. on there. Because he's got that kind of, you know, know-it-all attitude. He's got the track record to prove it. But I want someone humble as my host. Someone that is smart, but doesn't tell me he's smart by being, you know, over the top, you know, I know know everything about everything. That's why I'm LeVar Burton. And he's my TV dad from growing up with Rudy Rainbow and stuff. And I didn't have a dad, so I looked at him. But, but yeah, he's, he's cool, calm, collective, and he knows everything without telling you he knows everything. Okay, everybody seems to love LeVar Burton, and I, I certainly put myself in that camp as well. I think he'd be great. Uh, who doesn't love the guy? I, I yeah. think they sh he should have been the choice to start with. I got a poll going right now on Twitter, Eric. Who should be the next Jeopardy host? LeVar Burton, 58%, according to our poll here. Ken Jennings, about 25%. Uh, 17, 18% of people say someone else. But, uh, LeVar Burton, uh, there are some reports circulating online right now, though, that maybe Ken Jennings has got the inside track here, but you like LeVar. Yeah, 100%. And yeah. you know who I'd go to before? I don't like the sports guys like Aaron Rodgers and stuff like right. that. It just, it just doesn't fit for me. But I've been going up to this, and I did, I actually, I actually haven't, I'll confess right now, Mike, I haven't watched Jeopardy since Alex passed. Yeah, yeah. Because I was such a fan, I didn't want to do it. But I'm really actually starting to appreciate Maya Bialik because she's okay. the same sort of thing. She she quit Hollywood to go get her doctorate or PhD in some super smart science stuff. And she comes across that way too. And again, she's not being funny. She's just having fun. So I think she she would be my go-to. If I was to pick, I'd be in between um, Jordy LaForge and my reality. <laughs> LaForge. Okay, let's go to the phone lines here and see what people think about it. Squeeze a few phone calls in here. Dave calling from Kitsilano. Hi, Dave. Who do you think should be the next Jeopardy host? Uh, he already poo-pooed it already. Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, oh, Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. yeah, Aaron, sorry. Um, yeah. He was funny. You know, people liked him. He had a, a good sense of command of the English language and everything. He's having problems with the Packers. Well, bring him on as a guest <laughs> host. Give it a shot. Okay, Dave, thanks for the call. Well, he has stepped in there as a guest host, uh, at least on one occasion or maybe more, Eric, but yeah. 
You know, I mean, and he's getting a few write-in votes here on our Twitter poll right now for Aaron Rodgers. Your thoughts? Really? Yeah. No, I did. I did, oh, I watched even going up to this. I was like, I watched him again. I was like, no, he seems. I don't know. He doesn't seem smart enough to be a Jeopardy host. He's and pretty I smart. Know, I don't he's, know how smart he is, but he doesn't. I don't know. It just maybe I need to see him more. Maybe that's my thing, and that's my thing too, Mike. I'm yeah. so. I think I'm too deep into this i need to back off and, and give some more people a chance because it's just alex trebek was such a such yeah. a presence and such a person you know but yeah impossible impossible to replace i mean you know yeah. and to make everybody happy star the- 98 98 on yourself squeeze another call in here luke yep. and new west hey luke go ahead well since uh, mr chapman stole my fire with Miami baelic and that was my first choice i'm gonna go with henry rollins now Okay, Henry Rollins. Okay, give me your uh, why. Uh, he's a very critical thinker, and I don't mean that in like you know the new age way of thinking critical thought. I mean like you know he was a critical thinker back in the seventies, eighties, Black Flag, and uh, his uh, open letters to uh, various people. He just, uh, I think he would be a really interesting host. Okay, I really I... like that thought. That's a great idea because you're right. He is he's a really intelligent guy, but again, he doesn't come across smart, but he's got the the experience to to back it up. Great call. I really like that. Okay. Star ninety eight ninety eight is the number to call on your cell phone. Anne in South Surrey. Hi Anne, what do you think? Hi. Um I'm gonna go with Robin Roberts. I thought she was excellent. She was a very smart lady, but she made the contestants really feel at ease and uh, yeah she had fun as well as um uh, that's my choice okay robin roberts i guess good morning america i guess she's yeah. one of the uh, the hosts there eric yeah yeah you bet abc's good morning america and she was she was okay but again and, and the caller even said it about aaron Rodgers. he's a funny guy i don't want my host of jeopardy being funny i don't want jokes I want puns and creative thought but i don't want jokes so i think she's too fun and bubbly to be honest Okay, when do you expect that we will actually get an answer on who this is going to be? I mean, this thing has just been a, a public relations disaster over there for Sony. Oh, jeez. You know what? I think they should just go dark for th- almost a season and just come really? just make the de- go dark, come back with the decision, make it how you always don't involve the crowd because the crowd's just going to confuse things. Do do that you get paid a lot of money over there at the Jeopardy Go dark, make the decision, come back and say, this is our host, this is why, and let Jeopardy fly again. Okay. Me uh, me not not on the island. Me no. Sorry, me no. Me no on Vancouver Island. Go ahead. That's okay. I've been called worse. Okay. Sorry about that. (laughs) Bring on on Aaron Rodgers. I watched him the two weeks he was uh, guest host. He did a pretty good job, but he's just about done playing football anyway. Put him on, let him fly at it. Okay, do you think, or do you, you don't agree with Eric then that you think the guy, he's a bit too smart alecky? Yeah, Aaron Rodgers, he's too, no, he tries no, to be funny. I don't funny. think so. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think he's, uh, pretty, uh, level headed. I've watched a few of his football games. I don't watch much NFL, but I have watched a few of them, and he seems to carry himself pretty good. Okay. Okay, because that was my question. Are you are you a, want him to be the host because you're a fan of him as a football player, which a lot of people are, or a show host? Really, but I guess not if, really. Yeah. I've just watched a few games yeah. of okay. him. But, uh, okay. no, I just thought those two weeks he carried pretty well, and he uh, has a pretty good uh, command of conversing with the public, I thought, okay. the contestants and that. So I, I'd okay. say put him on. Mino, thank you for the call.